Amen. Thanks, guys. I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to talk to you this morning about gifts. Does anybody here like to receive gifts? Some of you aren't awake. Let me ask you this. Have you ever, like, have you ever, like, cleaned up from Christmas and stored things away, and the next year you get stuff out and realize there was a, a gift that didn't get opened? That's happened in our house before. And, and the real problem is, like, when it was a gift for a four- to five-year-old, and now the kid's seven, and you're thinking, I, I, we got to find another four- to five-year-old. Or how about this? When I was growing up, I had a brother, almost five years older than me, He's still almost five years older than me, but when we were growing up, I don't know. You know, sometimes we would open the very same thing on Christmas morning, and he would still look at me and say, mine's better. Have you ever ever compared your gifts that you've gotten with somebody else and think, man, he got like, you know, a new bicycle. I got a wheel for my skateboard. You know, what? what is, (laughs) there's a disparity here. Well, I want to talk to you about spiritual gifts, and obviously, in the church in Corinth, there had been some issues with their spiritual gifts. In fact, I want to say this. I think perhaps there's no other doctrine in the church that is more misunderstood or more abused than the subject we're talking about this morning. So, no pressure, right? I'm just going to share with you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 what Paul writes, and we recognize that Paul's going to start out by saying, now, concerning this, and all Paul is doing is responding to a letter that he had gotten from the church in Corinth. We believe by now that Paul is over in Ephesus, and he's writing back to Corinth. It's been about five years since he's been there and established this church, and he has dealt with a lot of things. I think there's some things that he taught them that were general in nature. Other things in these first 11 chapters that we looked at, I think, were specific answers the questions that had been in the letter from this church in Corinth that's referred to, I believe, in the fifth chapter. And so let's look at understanding spiritual gifts. And it's a lengthy chapter. I'm not going to read every single verse. Let me start by reading the first six verses. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. We've heard that before, right? He said that before. I don't want you to be uninformed, unaware, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one, speaking by the Spirit of God, says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and in all persons. So the first thing I want you to get is just some proper information. That's all Paul's saying. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to understand the truth about this. Why did Paul need to tell them the truth? Because they were beginning to believe a lie. And so Paul starts with, I think, the two problems that are in the church, and folks, not just the church in Corinth, the church today. Two problems. Number one, either we ignore spiritual gifts, and, and I don't want anybody raising their hand, but do you know what your spiritual gift is? 
For some of you, if you're a believer, you need to understand, you have been given at least one spiritual gift from God. And if, if that sounds like foreign language, you're saying, what in the world are you talking about? Then we need to talk. Because spiritual gifts are referred to throughout the New Testament, specifically in Romans, 1 Corinthians, and Ephesians. In fact, depending on who you listen to, I've heard some say there's seven spiritual gifts. If you read Romans, Ephesians, 1 Corinthians, you're going to come up with about 20. But I've seen others that say, no, there's 31. They include gifts like celibacy or martyrdom. We've already talked about the gift of celibacy earlier back in the chapter on marriage, but also it may be that some have been given the gift of martyrdom. Now, that you're not going to know you've got that gift because you can only operate one time with that one. Now, we kind of laugh about that, but folks, in the first century, and do you know even today, there are people being killed for the sake of Jesus Christ. And certainly most of the disciples were put to death because of their faith. So I just want to say from the outset, if you're a child of God, you have been given a spiritual gift. It may be like Christmas morning is still in the package. You haven't unwrapped it yet. And so Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware. So either we ignore our gifts or number two thing we do is we abuse the gifts. And Paul's going to address that with this issue of these being led away to idols. He said, you know, back when you were pagans, and all that means is back when you were a non-Christian, okay, before you came to faith in Christ, he's speaking to a group basically of non-Jews. These were Gentiles in Corinth. He's saying back when you were non-believers, you were led astray to these mute idols. And it's interesting. Some of your translations may even say you were led astray to dumb idols. What's Paul saying? And then he goes, however you were led. Understand, isn't it amazing that some people... Their excuse for not coming to Christ is they don't want to give up their freedoms. Here's the problem. Before you came to Christ, you weren't free. You were, in, you were enslaved to sin. You weren't free. In fact, Ephesians says you were dead. So it's not about giving something up. I had a girl in my youth group, just back when I was a teenager, a long time ago, youth group. She said, well, my mama told me before I come to Christ, I need to sow all my wild oats. I thought, what, is, what kind of advice is that from a parent? But there's some people kind of think, well, you know, one of these days I'll come to faith in Christ. But, you know, I haven't lived yet. Folks, let me look at me. You haven't lived until you come to faith in Christ. Because before you come to faith in Christ, you're dead. In fact, Paul says you've been led to these mute idols. Why does he call them mute idols? Because they can't talk. They're dumb. They, they're mute. They cannot speak. Listen, an idol cannot respond to you. And some of you are kind of sitting back thinking, well, I'm glad we don't have those anymore. And I've given this definition before, but it bears repeating. Augustine said, an idol is anything that you use that ought to be worshipped or anything you worship that ought to be used. Almighty God is not an idol. But any other person, any other thing, anything you make with your hands, anything that becomes more important to you than God, becomes an idol in your life. And Paul says you were led away. In fact, the word led is really a term that would have been used of a guard coming and getting you out of prison or, or coming and getting you out of your house and taking you to prison or taking you to execution. That's the word that Paul uses here. You were led. As a non-believer, before you came to faith in Christ, you were led like a prisoner to a jail cell. And he says... 
understand something, that nobody speaking by the Holy Spirit will say Jesus is accursed. You're saying, well, I've never heard that in my church. You know what? They had heard that in their church. There had been people in the church that would have said Jesus anathema, which means condemned or accursed, strong religious language. Why? Because one of the big heresies back then, and I'm not going to give you a huge history lesson here, but you need to understand, one of the big heresies was this Gnostic heresy. And they would never refer to the Savior as Jesus because they saw Jesus as the human side of the Messiah. And they didn't believe in that. They thought all human side, all of the human part was evil. So they didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, bodily resurrection. They didn't believe in that. And so they actually would have said, if you're going to talk about Jesus, anathema. He's accursed. Let's talk about Christ. <laughs> well, you, you're not going to say by the Spirit. Listen, when you come and you worship in the Spirit, you're not going to say that Jesus is accursed. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross for you. And Jesus, yes, indeed, three days later was raised from the dead, conquering death. He also says you're not going to say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. So there's something about God's work in you that would even cause that testimony. And not just the words to roll off your lips, but folks, the fact that you would live that way. As though Jesus was Lord. The word Lord, referring to Jesus, occurs about 700 times in the New Testament. And I hear a lot of folks refer to him as Savior. That, that occurs less than ten times. You've seen the church sign. If Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. You don't decide that he's Lord. He is Lord. When you trust him as Christ, as you trust him as Messiah and Savior, he is Lord. He becomes Lord. That's the work that he will begin in your life. So Paul starts at that very foundation. And he says, you can't say Jesus is a curse. Do you know the guy who's writing this letter, the Apostle Paul, used to try to get Christians to say that Jesus was a curse? Just make a note. Acts chapter 26, verse 11. Before Paul came to faith in Christ, his name was Saul. And one of the things Saul would do was hound Christians, chase Christians to other towns, and try to get them to return to Jerusalem and curse Jesus. Now he's writing this letter to the Corinthians. He says, you know what? If you're led of the Spirit, you're not going to do that. And if you're led of the Spirit, you're going to profess Him as Lord. And then he says there's a variety of gifts. There's a variety of ministries. Literally, that's the word to mean to be an attendant or aid. We get the word deacon from this word. A servant. Spiritual gifts are given so that God's people can serve. I don't want you to miss that. There's a variety of those. Variety means an allotment of gifts. Gift means miraculous faculty. In other words, it's something that you've been given for a purpose. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But there's a variety of them. A variety of ministries, a variety of gifts, a variety of ministries, and a variety of effects. Literally, the energy, that's what the word here is. It's the word energy. To have an effect is something that is worked out. Understand, so it's supernatural energy. Here's the cool thing about operating within your spiritual gift. It's not on your strength. If God has gifted you in a certain way, He did it for a reason. He was purposeful in it. And He'll give you the energy. He didn't just leave you kind of helpless. 
my favorite, one of my favorite lines from that saint of God, Miss Bertha Smith from South Carolina. Somebody asked her one day when she was in her 80s. This lady was just a dynamo for God. Somebody said, how do you have the energy to do everything you do? She said, I haven't used any of mine yet. You will get worn out if you try to operate in your own strength. You ever heard people say, well, I'm just burned out. You get burned out from rolling off the flame. So there's a variety of gifts, a variety of ministries, a variety of effects, but it's the same Lord. You need to understand this variety that he talks about. He continues to come back and talks about one body, one Lord, same purpose. Let's look at then the purpose of the gifts. Let me begin reading then in verse 7 and continue verse two through verse 13. But to each one is given by the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, through, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit you are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and you are all made to drink of one Spirit. So why does God give us these? What is the purpose of spiritual gift? They're each given as a manifestation, literally an exhibition, an expression, to make something clear for the common good. It's for the good of the church. It's for the good of bringing people into fellowship of the church. That's why you were given the gifts. If you, if you don't hear anything else in this section, understand something. The reason the gifts were given was not for you. The gifts were given for the good of the church. And he's distributed them each individually just as he will. It's because God is sovereign that he decides who he gives the gifts to and where he gives them. Let, let me just share a few practical thoughts. Just from this section, really the whole section, Just I, I could have probably had 12 of these. I'm not going to give you that many. Just a few. First one is this. In order to properly use your gift, you've got to know what your gift is or are. Is it possible to have more than one gift? Yeah, it's possible, but you're probably going to have one that sticks out above the other. And why do I say sticks out above the other? There, there's, you can go online, go back and bing it. I'm, I'm boycotting Google, so now I bing. Go Yahoo it, bing it. Go do a computer search. Go on the Internet and search spiritual gift test or spiritual gift inventories. But be careful. Be careful who you're kind of doing the test with. But also, I've seen people take the spiritual gift test and just, that's it. That's all they ever do. And it's just, well, that's the spiritual gift I got. That's the one, one that's shown above all the rest of them. You've got to be careful. Those are just a help. They're just tests. One of the best things you can do is ask your friends. As you study spiritual gifts and understand what the different gifts are, ask people, what do you see in my life? Where, where do you kind of see? And maybe you can tell them, hey, here's kind of what the test shows. Here's two or three things that seem to be real strong in my life. What have you seen me acting like in the church? 
you think maybe I have the gift of teaching or the gift of helps or the gift of giving or administration or whatever the gifts are. The first is you've got to know what your gift is. Secondly, it should be used publicly. It's for the good of the church. It's not about you. It's not something you do in private. It's something you do for the good of the church, for the common good. It's not about feelings. So it's not about you. Number three, it's used to build up the church. It's up to God. That's, that's, Jesus said, I will build my church. One of the ways that he builds his church is to, in, is to gift individual members. And let me just say, those gifted in the church are not just the paid staff. It's everybody who has come to faith in Christ. Number four, there, there should be a diversity operating in the church. Some churches seem to attract only one or two of the gifts. It shouldn't be that way. You really ought to see the variety of the gifts across the church body. And they ought to be functioning. Fifth thing, this one ought to go without saying, but I really want you to get this. The gifts are supernatural. Now, talents and abilities are natural. There's some of you that have, you were just born with, maybe we would call it a gift, but it's really a talent or ability. Maybe you were born to that, or you trained real hard and achieved some level of success and a certain ability. But that's not supernatural. In fact, I would say this. You may be the CEO of a major corporation, and yet you may not have the spiritual gift of administration. You may teach at school, and you may not have the spiritual gift of teaching. These gifts are supernatural. They're supernaturally given, and they're supernaturally empowered. And that's a good thing. And then last, the last section is the importance of each gift. This one's lengthy, so hang on. Verses 14 and following. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desires. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again to the head, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body which deem less honorable, on those we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, given more abundant honor to the member which lacks, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Here's what you need to know. There's many members, but one body. And Paul uses this illustration of a body to describe that there should be Diversion. There should, should be diversity. They were trying to be unified around something that should have been diverse, and they were trying to be uniform against something that Paul is saying that there's a variety of these things. They were basically jealous of each other's gifts, and they wanted all to have the same one. 
Well, how, how ridiculous would it be if your body all just looked like a bunch of arms? Kind of like that. How ridiculous would it be if you were just a bunch of hands? Kind of like that. Or you were a bunch of ears? Kind of like that. Sorry, that's corny. Wow. <laughs> Y'all are easy. No, look, as, as stupid as that looks, as gross as that would look, just to have a file of eyeballs, we ought to be that grossed out by a church that just has one or two of the gifts operating. And here's the other problem Paul is saying is, listen, if, you're, if your role is to be a foot, then be a foot. And if you're the head, don't look at the foot and say, I don't need you. Guess what, head? If you don't have feet, you're not going anywhere. I mean, we could roll you down a hill, but you're not getting back up the hill without some feet. And you can't say, because I'm a foot, I'm not important. I wish I'd be more like a hand. No, listen, be what God has called you to be. In fact, look what, listen to the way Paul puts it. God has placed you. I love the word that he uses, because it's literally a word that means to be be passively placed in a horizontal position. He could have used a different word that meant to have energy and to be upright. Paul's saying that God has placed you in the body. Let's make that real practical. God has placed you in the church where he wants you. Now let's be real honest. Are you at the church where God wants you? I hear so many people complain about their church. And they church hop, they church shop. And, and I wonder sometimes, have you ever asked, God, where do you want me? Because here's what we say sometimes, well, this church isn't meeting my needs. Really? I can't even find that in the Bible. The church is the body of Christ, folks. Find out where God wants you to be and then be involved there. Don't become just a few potato taking up room in the church. God has placed you in a church just as He desired. Isn't that interesting? God actually has a will and a purpose for where you go to church. God also has a will and a purpose for the role that you have at that church because He's given you a gift to be utilized in that church. And here's what we do when we complain about that. We're basically saying, God, you didn't know what you were doing. I don't like my gift. And we challenge God's perfection, the gift that he's given us. And then he kind of comes from both either this this humble thing of, of, of basically feeling inferior because of your gift. And so you're saying, well, because I'm not this or that or the other, I'm not important. Or there's some that because of the, I guess, the out front nature of the gift, they kind of feel arrogant about it. Like, I don't need you. Like the head says to the foot, I don't need you. But you could also have some of the members of the body that feel like, well, I'm because I'm weak, I'm not needed. Some of you have the gift of helps. You know what? That's something that's done in the background. A lot of times your, your name, you're not up speaking. You're not the one that gets, I guess, the notoriety or people even know who you are at times. So what do you do? You be faithful to God. Be faithful to what he's called you to. Whose approval are we seeking anyway? Are we seeking the approval of men? Or do we one day want to hear God say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. 
That's what we want. Paul says those things that seemed less honorable, we've actually bestowed more abundant honor. I just think there's going to be some people we're finally going to meet in heaven one day that we never knew their name on earth. And yet we come to discover the huge impact they've had for the kingdom of God. And some of my trips in foreign countries where I've met missionaries that have been serving there for 20 or 30 years, I had never heard their name before, and I haven't heard their name in this country since. And yet I watched men and women do incredibly mighty, powerful things for the cause of Christ. But they were humble. They were just being obedient. They were just blooming where God planted them. I've seen other people that think they're operating within their gift. And folks, it's all about them. And if they're not getting enough attention, it makes them mad. Well, you're not going to serve God the way God wants you to serve Him from an arrogant position either. So don't be so humble that you think you're not being used, but also don't be so arrogant that you think, well, God's lucky to have me. And the bottom line, verse 25, he's done all this so that. Anytime you see so that in Scripture, pay attention. Because it's telling you, everything that I'm saying is so that this would happen. Two things, there'd be no division in the body. If the church is operating as it ought to be operating, the body won't be divided. And the second thing is so that you would care for one another. And he goes on and fleshes that out a little bit more in the verses to follow. Let me just close by saying this about your spiritual gift. Questioning your spiritual gift is, also, is questioning God. But not using your spiritual gift is disobeying God. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, I want to pray for folks in this worship center this morning. And God, just recognize that Lord, for some of them, they may walk in and the first time they'd ever heard in their life spiritual gift is today. So, Lord, if there's someone here that has never trusted you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray today would be the day that they come to you for their salvation, that they would recognize today that they're a sinner separated from you and that you offer forgiveness and hope because of what Jesus did on the cross. But God, the majority of these folks, if I'd asked them when we started, are you a Christian? They would have raised their hand, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And God, my purpose for them today is not that they leave here ashamed if they don't know what their gift is, but my purpose would be that God, they would leave here seeking you. Okay, God, how have you uniquely, supernaturally gifted me to work in the body? And then, Father, I pray that truly you'd light a fire under every one of us. That we get busy doing what it is you've called us to do. God, you, you plant us in that specific body, that specific church where you want us to be. And then, God, you enable us to use that gift there. And even by this prayer, God, we're acknowledging that it's, it's up to you. Pray that we'd be willing to be obedient. That's our prayer in Christ's name.